the greatest path to happiness for the rest of your life is to increase the voice of grace in your head. Ready to go learn how to live healthier, wealthier, and wiser as an artist in showbiz? Hey, I'm Lara Bianca Pilcher. I'm crazy about helping artists to live out their creative dreams and nurture themselves at the foundation of their creative career. I'm an artist and actor and showbiz educator with over 20 years in the arts and entertainment industry in London, Australia, and now Atlanta, USA. I'm here to show you how to navigate this topsy-turvy world called showbiz, uncover the secrets of success, unlocking the powerful artist you are. I've done a lot, performed, worked in TV, film, radio, stage, produced, directed, choreographed, acting, singing, voice work, musical theatre, dance company, toured, moved, casting, auditioned, self-tape, teaching, press, critics, branding, marketing, side hustles, and all the hoo-ha, while maintaining a happy marriage with two gorgeous kids. And there will only be real talk here, friends. Think of this podcast as a masterclass in helping you build your creative career while also learning how to holistically navigate the artist's life. This is the Healthy, Wealthy, Wise Artist Podcast. My guest today is Heidi Rue. She's a voice talent, actress, co-owner of the Atlanta VoiceOver Studio, and also runs Pro VoiceOver Training, which is online. You can see all of these things in my show notes. You know, I love this. Heidi is a true Georgia peach, if you know what that means, in her own words. Heidi is a national voiceover talent, actress, host, and former radio DJ. Heidi has worked in multiple markets with nearly a decade of on-air experience in Atlanta. Heidi can be heard in commercials for various companies, including AutoNation, GE, Hallmark, Jiffy Lube, Build-A-Bear, Subway, and Belk, to name a few. And what I love about her is that she really does lead with her heart and believes that your words deserve that. Welcome, Heidi. And I want to start with saying I love what's on your website, that you love green smoothies, mm-hmm. decorative pillows, which I also love, mm-hmm. the farmer's market on Saturdays, hiking, and Serve International and the House of Hope Orphanage in Kenya. So there's a little mm-hmm. bit of things about you which I really love and think are beautiful qualities. And having met you for a short, sweet minute <laughs> and following <laughs> you on social media, I can see that you really are more than just, I'm an artist, this is my identity. You really carry a love and a love for your students and a love for life and well-being. And so that's why I wanted to have you. So welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Lara. I appreciate it um, for having me. And um, I want to start with asking you how you got to where you are. And there's some really fun things about your journey and things that you've done. And I think you really embody When you're a creative, you have to find somewhere to create, whether you're actually doing that through your work as an artist or through other creative outlets. You have definitely done so much with your life in terms of creative outlet. One was hosting a home shopping show once called Heidi's Bargain Boutique. What was that? Oh, my gosh. That was one of those things where I kept, I said to myself, I don't know how many times, you got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. It is, it's not my, I'm so glad. I don't think there's any tape still out there. This was right when I graduated from college and I wanted to go into radio. I interviewed at some places. I didn't get a job. And then someone told me about a casting for an on-camera host for this small cable, you know, show. And so I went and I got it and I had deer heads on my (laughs) set. (laughs) If that tells you anything. That's very sudden. 
<laughs> it was so Southern. I'm like, this is not actually me. I mean, I was born here in Atlanta, but this is a whole do that. This is a whole like different part of Georgia and not, I am not a hunter. I don't, there were some, a couple of things that we sold that I was like, looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't wow. believe that we sold. I mean, a lot of it was just for like local restaurants, but there were just some things. The, the craziest thing that I had to sell was a wolf teapot set. No way. Oh my I'm gosh. not even talking about like that there was a wolf on the teapot. I'm saying that the teapot was in the shape of a wolf Ooh. where the tea came out its mouth and then the tail curled up at the end. Okay, I know. That's definitely not your style. No, what it's not my style. <laughs> it's not my style. And I was like, and who's going to buy this? Who wants this? No one and ever And you have said. to sell it. Okay. Yes. You, you must yes. be a good saleswoman then. <laughs> did you sell that in the end? I did. And and you know how I did it was because I started saying, you know what? If you have a cabin, you know, if you have like a little, you know, cabin in the woods or whatever, this would be a perfect thing to have in that cabin. It's a conversation piece, you know, very rustic and that's how I started. I those. I love it, and I'm, I bet you're really good at knowing this from all of the commercials that you've recorded. How to actually find an angle into things that you don't necessarily right. think will sell, but you right. have worked right. on in radio as well for over mm -hmm. ten years. It seems like, as well as being an actress and a voiceover talent, tell me about the radio. And I mean, yeah. obviously, radio was much bigger. Now everyone's on almost running their own radio show, podcasting, right. but. Tell me about those years in radio. It must have been fantastic. Was it two different stations or three? Yep, it was two different stations and well, and I total three, sorry. I forgot about the last one. The last one I just did kind of part-time when I had already quit. But yeah, radio was really my end goal, honestly. That was what I wanted to do. My goal was to be a morning show radio DJ. Mm. And I never got there. <laughs> And that still to this day felt like such a dagger in my heart. Yeah. But but that was kind of my goal. And so the, even the TV show was just kind of like a little diversion. And then I ended up getting hired by a, a station up in Chattanooga. But I loved radio. And, and I still love radio. But it got to a point where I... I met my husband in radio. <laughs> oh, did you? Oh. I did. <laughs> and so we were both on air, which if you – and people that aren't in radio may not know this, but to be able to find a radio job in the same city – for two people that are married, that is almost near impossible to wow. do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So for us to be able to move up, you know, to move – to a different position or whatever, we'd have to move. And I got radio offers from other cities, but then it's like, well, if I go, you're not going to be able to go. And oh. I didn't want to sacrifice my marriage for it. Mm. And so, so really, so it was one of the things that actually I've had to grieve in my life because. Oh, yeah, I get that. Yeah. And, uh, and I, it, so even when I left radio to do voiceover and on camera full time, it was it was really hard mm. because I thought I'm giving up my dream and this is going OK. But I'm like, that's not my dream. Yeah. My dream was to do radio. 
And it, you know, it's shifted so much because, and if anyone else is listening, it's not, doesn't even have to be radio, but whatever you're doing, and if you feel like this is my dream and you feel like your dream has died, mm. listen, that dream can be realized in other ways. And wow. what I mean by that is the things that I loved about radio was being able to create content to connect with the audience. Well, what do I do now? I create content to connect with my audience. So when you find those things that, you know, are in your dream, that is something that that's why you wanted to pursue it. A lot of times it can be realized in other ways through other avenues. Oh, I just love that you, you said that because I think almost every artist, probably the majority, 95%, I would say, would relate to not quite reaching their dream mm -hmm. that they want the most. Mm -hmm. But I love that you said you can find it in other outlets because I think the longer you do this, the more you realize, oh, I was actually just, you know, the blinkers are good sometimes mm -hmm. to have blinkers on. Sure. But sometimes as artists, we limit ourselves because we only are seeing one thing as where our joy will come from. Yes. And you've done, I mean, you've become an authority in your field, respected in your field, somebody that people come to to learn you know what I mean? And the influence mm. you have is is really enormous and not just in Atlanta, but because of the nature of what you do on online and worldwide. Mm. I think I started following, following you when I was still, I wasn't even living in Atlanta. Wow. So yeah, yeah. Wow. So there you go. <laughs> and that I love your voice. so crazy. I love your voice. <laughs> oh, so thank you. I much. love yours. Uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I am keen to do more with voice now that I'm in a place that actually appreciates a different accent. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know. We're like, speak more, talk more. Yeah. We love it. Give us directions so, in our car, uh -huh. please. <laughs> <laughs> Let's tap to, you've done a lot of other things as well, including founding what we were just talking about, Atlanta VoiceOver Studio with your husband, Mike. By the way, mm -hmm. did you meet in a booth? How did, how did kind you meet? Kind of, kind of, because yeah. we met in radio and he was on air in the evenings. I was doing a split shift, so I was doing mornings and afternoons, reporting traffic and being part of those shows. Mm. And so our our shifts would kind of, for a while they didn't overlap, but then there was a point where it overlapped a little bit. I did a little bit of traffic into his show. And so that's when we kind of started talking more. And he said, before we were even like a thing, he said, do you do voiceover? Because I could listen to your voice all day. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. I know. And and so I said, no, I don't even, I mean, I, you know, I would voice the commercials for radio, but I didn't, you know, that's just like, you're a body, get in here, you can speak on the microphone. And so he really showed me how like the voiceover industry works and helped me put together my first demo and all kinds of stuff. And, um, and then it worked out for him because, you know, he married he got me a wife. And, yeah, he's still saying like, Heidi, I'm really working on the sugar mama status, but we're kind of like neck and neck a little bit. So I'm like, Babe, I'm working on that. I'm working on the sugar sugar mama status. I love it. But it's such a beautiful story too. And you know, in the sense that he believed in you and now that you're doing doing this together. And that's that's the thing I can say too about my husband is yeah. that one person that believes in you is really powerful. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and if you don't have a spouse or a partner, then it's certainly great to have at least one person. As I often say, you don't need everyone to believe in you. 
Yeah. But that one person that cheers you on when you feel like I can't do this as a creative is just really oh, something to treasure, isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. a, it's such a beautiful gift. I don't know if he really does want to listen to me all day, though, now. After we've been married this long. <laughs> like, oh, do you want to take that back? <laughs> That's really funny. It's and like, yet you work together. I know. I know. <laughs> I want to chat about a bit more about your artist's life because I saw a post, which is actually what prompted me to want to get mm-hmm. you on here, is that a few different posts you've created, I've I just really went, wow, like that's really cool. And I'll start with this one, that rejection is not related to value. The journey for you here is to try and let go of trying to get it right. And then there was another point about embracing and highlighting your uniqueness and your curly mm-hmm. hair story was a great example. I hope you know the post I'm talking about. Yeah. But tell me a little about, mm-hmm. first of all, embracing your uniqueness and your curly hair story. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like it's still such a journey too for this, but Mm -hmm. I will tell you that one of my greatest regrets is getting into this industry and thinking that I needed to kind of fit this mold because I missed out on discovering myself in doing so, which I think that that's what happens. Like that's the the devastation of comparing, that's the devastation of trying to fit into a box, is that it prevents you from realizing your own unique gifts and attributes and everything. So for me, the curly hair, I'm so embarrassed to say this, but I don't know how many times when they'd have like casting directors, Q&As or whatever, I'd be like, what are your thoughts on curly hair? You know, like what I, you know, should I just straighten my, and I'm like, oh my gosh, they probably were like, girlfriend, don't, don't even. But it wasn't just out of nowhere. You know, I have had hair people on set literally say my hair is difficult. You know, I've had people like literally go, you know, when they're working on my hair, which just is heartbreaking for me to be in that position. And I've also had many times where I've auditioned for things with curly hair, but I had a straight hair headshot. And then right before the shoot, they would say, hey, can you actually tell her to straighten her hair for the shoot? And so I felt like I always had these messages of on camera, curly hair looks messy. It's too messy. It doesn't work with green screen, you know, all this stuff. And so I really just tried to straight. I had the you know, the keratin treatment, try and straighten my hair. And I just thought, this is why I must be losing out on jobs. And I think it wasn't like one moment. I think it was a a lot of different moments. I finally was just like, wait a minute. When you walk into this room, I mean, when we did have, (laughs) when we did things a lot more in person for on-camera auditions, you look around and how many people have naturally curly hair, you know, especially my kind of (laughs) curls, these tight curls, nobody. And so why do you want to try and fit in and then be one of those people that look all the same when you have this something that's so unique, you know, and just makes you you? and that kind of was the start of the journey. But then also, I think learning more about acting and creating characters. And for the longest time, I thought, I'm so vanilla. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a bubbly, friendly girl that like, who cares? There's a million of them out there. You know, that's so bland. It's not interesting. 
And then I just started going, wait a minute. What if the things that I thought were a hindrance were actually the things that made me unique and not bland and not vanilla? And it was at that point that I started going, oh, okay, curly hair, that is my thing. Listen, this is what you got. I don't put up straight hair headshots because this is what I got. And if you don't want it, that's fine. But this is who I am. And I want everyone to know that and lead with, you know, what I bring to the table that is unique. And I'm still trying to figure out those types of things. So even if I think like, oh my gosh. Okay. So one of the things is I can be kind of ditzy. Um, (laughs) And like, there's just times where I just don't get things, you know, like other people. And I used to always think, gosh, that's so embarrassing. And then I started realizing, no, that is a beautiful character description about who I am. Like, don't, don't diminish that. Mm. That was a lot to say in that. <laughs> oh, but, but I love yeah. I actually love it because it's relatable for people that go, "Oh, I'm not booking that dance job because mm-hmm. I wore that leotard or it's my body type or you know whatever it is in whatever performer's context, mm-hmm. there's usually something that a narrative we don't even realize that we're believing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, that narrative's often been it's because I'm not the right size. And I did an mm-hmm. episode on that recently about body image and my story there. But um, because I started in dance, went into musical theatre and then wanted to not be in the ensemble, went to leads, hence that's yeah. why it developed more in, um, in straight acting. Yeah. But that was always you know, and also times have changed a lot and they're embracing all different looks and types more. But there was a time, like you look at the early episodes of shows like Desperate Housewife and it really embodies the body type of that particular Mm. season in casting. And I think a lot of that was also reflected in modelling and in culture and all of that and everything's changing. But a lot of us have got something that we're Mm. believing is why and mm-hmm. and it's very limiting. And I think it's so beautiful that you were vulnerable to share that because I think we all relate mm-hmm. in one way or another um, to that. So whatever mm-hmm. that is for you, listener, you know, find it and make it, as Heidi said, your embrace and highlight that uniqueness, yes. which is it's just so beautiful. Yeah. And on that point, like, like so many artists go through rejection and we do, as I'm speaking for the group of creatives in general, not necessarily <laughs> myself, but we do often perceive that as a lack of value. What's mm. been your journey with the statement rejection is not related to value? Mm. It, it's still a journey. And I think I listened to Sam's episode that you had, the one broke actress, and yeah. I was like, yep, that's exactly true. Here's what I will say is that through the years, I feel like rejection, it lasts less and less, like the the uh, impact on my heart and my soul. It lasts less and less time. Um, whereas before at the beginning of my career, it probably would have been, you know, weeks that that would have been really hard on me. But as you develop that resilience, as you develop ways to be able to cope with that, um, it becomes less and less. But there's still moments where, you know, you go, oh my gosh, I'm not booking as much. Like what, okay, what's going on? Is this going to be a pattern for the next six months or, you know, what, what, what is going to happen? And, um, and then again, I feel like, and I don't know if you're like this, I heard that you were a, um, 
three, three wing two. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's me. <laughs> I'm exactly the same. Mm-hmm. I knew you were because you've achieved yes. so many things, and I'm like, I get oh. you. Yeah, <laughs> I get you too. <laughs> I suit America. And, yes, <laughs> and it's product driven, like productivity driven culture, which is like, oh man, I finally fit in somewhere. I'm yes. Like, I'm so oh my gosh, that is hilarious. <laughs> yes. yes, welcome, welcome, Thank welcome, you. all three. <laughs> I know it's America. Welcome, three. <laughs> I know. It's not entirely healthy, but it's also good. It's got its strengths. Totally. It totally does. And one of those, I think, strengths is like always wanting to improve, always Mm. wanting to get better. And I always want to strive for excellence and being the best, you know, at things. But that can be really detrimental, especially when you start to get in that cycle of rejection of feeling like, oh, I'm not enough. So then I'm like, what little things do I need to do? I need to listen back to my additions and I need to do this and I need to do that. And it can just become this vicious cycle. But what I will say is one of the best things that has helped me, and this is something that's applicable that everybody can do, is to continue to build your data. And what I mean by that is every single time you have a callback and somebody says something great about your performance, every time you have a um, session and somebody says something great about your 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 read or whatever. File that away, whether that's writing it on your in your notes in your computer, whether it's journaling, whatever it is. But file that away because that's what you need to access when you have those moments where you're feeling rejected. If you're just starting out, you may not have a ton of data and that's okay, but you can pull it from coaches. So when a coach says, oh my gosh, you have the most beautiful accent. I could listen to your accent all day long. You file that away because when we feel rejected, all we think about is those negatives. And so we need to be able to have this file folder that we can access in our mind and our heart to go, okay, you know. I'll give you an example. Last week I had a session and the uh, one of the guys that was directing me, I gave a read and he said, you just sound like you're reading it. And I was like, <gasps> what? No one has ever, I, I didn't say this to him, but inside I felt like no one has said that to me. Everyone says actually the opposite. And I just started getting in my head all of a sudden thinking, am I slipping? Am I not doing a good job? which I recorded it. So I did listen back to see, you know, was that right? Anyways, that's a whole different thing. But, but what I did on that day was because that thing was running through my brain, then all of a sudden, and then of course it goes to Heidi, you co-own a studio that trains people. And somebody just said that you sound like you're reading. Like, oh, how well, dare you? How dare yeah. you be able the to? The stakes are higher for you, oh, actually, yeah. now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I accessed all my data and said, okay, you had this one guy who's directed you this way. But what have you seen the data comparatively to this day? And that helped me to back out of that and thought, okay you know what? I'll use this. I'll just make sure like I'm listening back to my auditions, make sure that I, you know, I'm not getting into a rut and I'm going to let it go. So that's one of the biggest things that helps with rejection. I mean, you can say all, all day long of like, it's not you, it's, you know, and, and those things are good to be reminded of that. Like there's so many things that happen behind the scenes, but the the greatest tool that I've found in getting out of that headspace, that negative headspace, is just finding that positive data. 
That's actually such a, a practical tip that I've not heard before. And it's funny because mm-hmm. I started when people started emailing, I started screenshotting and making a folder in my phone, like an album that I call, I don't remember what I call, but it's something to do with auditions and rejections uh-huh. and, and put it into read to help me to feel confident when I'm going in. But I never thought about gathering all of the data, you say data, um, <laughs> the, the data around the encouragements you get because they yeah. do, like I had one singing teacher, I said it in an episode recently, say, Lara, what are you going to do about your weight? And this is, I was a lot heavier mm-hmm. then. I think I had just had a kid. Yeah, I had. And she's like, you're too, too fat for the skinny rolls and you're too skinny for the fat rolls because oh this gosh. is musical theatre, you have to fit a type. And she was also old school, like you don't, you would not say that in 2023, no. um, but yet she was, you know, getting on in age and from a generation where you, people were just, that's how the industry was and that's Broadway, yeah. you know. And I remember thinking, I don't fit anywhere and mm-hmm. I don't know how to, I don't know how to get around that. And that, you know, if I had had in my phone the the data you know to go to to say well what is my uniqueness what is beautiful it would have helped me yeah to get through that and that's just last week in class you know I was doing an on-camera class and I was thinking oh you know you get so in your head and and hard about yourself and I don't want to watch myself back and all these things and one of the girls which doesn't happen much just said you look so good on camera. And then the teacher said, the camera loves you. Oh. And I was, I went home beaming oh. from ear to ear going, the camera loves me. I told my husband, I'm like, the camera loves me. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. You know, like that's so encouraging. Yeah. You, you just, and I've got to hold on to that for the days oh. when yes. somebody says something, you don't look good, you're not the right type, you're whatever. Yes. And it's not related to our value and I, and I really love, you know, what you've shared there because I think it's so important because what we, and you've said this in that same post, but letting go of trying to get it right, is it's mm-hmm. the same thing. It's sort of a knockoff, isn't it? It's like, I've got to get it yeah. like this so that right. I can fit in and I won't be rejected. Yes. <laughs> and we can't really do that because I think it's like we, we doing that is not being in the moment, being present and showing up fully as ourselves because we're trying so hard to maybe fit what we think we're supposed to be doing rather than actually oh finding that creative expression and the, the fullness yeah. of that and enjoying that. And most of yeah. us get into this business to be creative. Yeah. <laughs> and yet as soon as we do it, we take all that creativity out, you know, just to try and fit somebody oh, else's, yeah. what you think is somebody else's idea of what is supposed to work, you know? Yeah, that's so true. You know, and I've just started agent applications here and, you know, we're about to go into a time... I, <laughs> in the industry that's <laughs> a little challenging for over yeah. here with strikes and things and there's been other bad seasons and I just was finding myself saying oh no one's going to want to sign me I bet every agent in town right now is like literally um don't sign anyone right now which is probably mm-hmm. true to be honest <laughs> don't sign anybody because we're not going to be able to get anybody work and it's just going to be very hard to get signed and this is the time of my life I want to get signed mm-hmm. I just got here Anyway, someone wrote back, I sent the applications out, someone wrote back the next day, got on the phone to me and said, I want you. And those Mm. words, like, this is like ministry to my soul, you know, like, I want you. You are unique in this market Mm. and 
she's like, tell anybody else to that, you know, not to take you. I want you. Can we meet next oh week? Gosh. You would be an asset and people would be a fool not to sign you. But that was not my narrative. My narrative wow. after sending it was like, no one's going to want to sign me. Hmm. And that's how we think as artists, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a vulnerable thing to say because I coach and I, but that's, that's life. Sometimes we don't see of our course. blind spots yes. and that our thinking is so limited, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so we can think- see it in other people. You know mm. what I mean? You're like, oh my God, at least for me, I'm like, oh my gosh, that person's so good at this. That's good. Yeah. At, you know, and it's so much harder to see it in ourselves. And just a little, if, if no one knows about the Sam Christensen process. Have you heard of that? No. Sam, so Sam um, has passed away, but what he did was he used to be a casting director. So he cast for a lot of big, huge shows back in the day, but he created this kind of weekend process. And it's basically, I'm probably not sharing it the, the way that the people that lead it share it. But basically what is stuck in my mind was when you walk in that door to new people, Everybody gets a sense of who you are just in a few seconds. And I've always wanted to know, what is that? What do people see in me? And that's what this whole workshop does, is it Mm. helps give vocabulary and gives ways of like, how do people see you? And it's more in depth than that. But our good friends, Matt and Brooke Cornwell, who run Get Taped, which is a taping service, they do it and it's a wonderful job. And I took it back when Sam was still here. And that really, really, really helped me because it gave me vocabulary for what is what is unique about me? Mm. You know, what is that unique thing? Yeah. So that's actually really beautiful. It's something I've got to I'll ask you more about. Yeah. Great. <laughs> and maybe pop some things in the notes for those who are interested in hearing more about that. But you said another more practical um post too. So I just I'm loving what you're doing. And I think, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, obs. <laughs> we obs. <laughs> Three things that, that have made the biggest impact in your voiceover career. And you said setting financial go- goals, diversify areas of opportunity, and focus on long-term client relationships and this is for all performers really Uh like what you said but can we go through what you've learned about why setting financial goals is Uh important particularly as artists when we feel like maybe we can't because we don't earn enough sometimes yeah of course and that's what I thought for a good portion of my career I thought you know I met with like a financial advisor and they're like, well, how much money did you make last year? And how much money do you like, how much more do you think you're going to make this year? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I have no idea. Like this, I have no control over this. Depends on whether, you know, what I book. book. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, Lee, I don't have control over this. And I just remember feeling so kind of frustrated because I'm like, nobody gets our industry, you know, like I can't set financial goals. And I was part of a voiceover accountability group. And that was kind of one of the things that we were talking about. And we went through through a book by Jack Canfield. I think it's like The Secrets of Success or something like that, something along those lines. And one of the things he talked about was just setting financial goals. I'm like, you know what? Fine. Fine. I'll do it. And I was amazed at what an impact it made because what it what it did is I was like, okay, fine. I want to make this amount at the end of the year. And it was a big number. 
And I'm like, okay, well, then what do I need to book like each month for that? Okay, what do I need to book each week for that? What do I need to book each day for that? And when I actually broke it down, I was like, okay, that is actually more doable than I thought. But then it made me go, what do I need to be doing in my own day-to-day to-do list to get to that point? And because I had broken it down by day, it didn't seem like such a huge number far off in advance. It was like, okay, you know what? I need to increase the amount of auditions that I get every day because that increases my opportunities, right, of booking things. How do I do that? So I just kind of, it allowed me to step back and to create a really clear um, sense of like a business plan, basically, for my creative field. And it changed everything. And I surpassed that goal that year. And I have you know, increase my finances every single year that we've been, that Mike and I've been doing, you know, doing voiceover full time. And um, it's been, it's been incredible. And that really is one of the things that has, has just changed so much. So, and it's the, it's true even within our business, like with Atlanta voiceover studio, you know, it's like, if we don't know where that money is, where it's coming from, and then how to adjust when we need to adjust and, and how to plan and strategize. We're, it's just going to be a little chaotic, you know, and we're never going to reach those goals. So that had a huge impact. I like that. I need to actually break it down into day the days. I've mm-hmm. not heard that before because – Obviously, I've started since moving to America listening to a lot of Dave's, Dave Ramsey because I think everyone does. <laughs> it's like the only, Australia's Man. got the ba- Barefoot Investor, which is yeah. their kind of Dave Ra- Ramsey. Um, You're just really fitting the- into America, aren't you? <laughs> I am so. He, his, early, his early recordings, he's so Southern. He almost has that thing where yes. he's like chewing something. Oh, my God. <laughs> but yep. it's, it's calmed down a little bit <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I really like that, especially as artists like thinking by day to yeah. reach what you actually, because on my vision board, of course, I have this is how much I want to make in a year, but I haven't broken yeah. it down. I like that. And if I if I could say mm. one more thing too, if it yeah. helps you to think about instead of saying set financial goals, set financial intentions, mm. that may help because an intention is like, this is what my desire, this is what I'm working towards, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to meet it, if that makes sense. Yeah, So like, because it is true, there's so much that we have, we don't have control over. And I don't want anybody to feel like they make this goal and then it feels like another rejection at the end of the year if they don't meet it. Yeah. So make sure you set that financial intention. But the, the goal of that is to then break it down to see, okay, what are my action items every day? And is it realistic? You know, maybe you are like, I would like to actually make this amount, but that's not realistic. Okay, so I'm going to get a part-time job that will give me this many hours. So then that way that does still meet that financial goal. It just really that's, helps. That's cool. I like that. And right up there with Dave, Dave Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, sell stuff, get another job, like all this yeah. kind of crazy stuff. And you also put diversify areas of opportunity. Yeah. Which is great. And tell me about that journey for you. Well, you know, for the majority of my career, I have made my income from my agents. 
which has been great, and I'm so grateful for it. But things change in the voiceover industry. Things change in the on-camera industry. And, you know, a big topic of conversation with voiceover right now is AI. AI? Uh, <laughs> yeah. like, tell me about mm-hmm. AI right now. Yeah, yeah. it is huge, and it's going to change really quickly. Yeah. And so, so what I've found is that as the industry changes, the, the best way to ensure that that things still are coming in steadily is to diversify those opportunities. So, um, I mean, I am on online casting sites. I do do self-marketing. I do have agents. Um, I'm on studio rosters. I have all of these. I try and, <laughs> this mm. is going to sound awful. I try and plant my seed. I know it's great. I, I try in and plant my Yeah. Yeah. In, in lots of places because it's those times where you don't know how long things are going to take to bloom. There's one, I mean, I have so many stories like this, but there's one story where there was a client of mine. I've had them for years and it's like maybe once a year, maybe once every other year, he'll message me and say, Hey, I have this, you know, opportunity. Uh, do you want to voice it? Sure. It's a small, small job. Well, I have continued to nurture that relationship over the years, and I took a sabbatical from voiceover for three months during the busiest times of the year um, because of burnout. That's another story. But that client reached out to me and said that they had a huge job for me that covered almost the entire month of my income for that month. And it's just one of those things that I have so many stories like that. But it's because I have diversified because I keep, and I actually am already going on to number three as far as focusing on long-term client yeah. relationships. Yeah. I I do probably the worst job of it now because of the studio, because it's so, <laughs> I spend so much time with the studio stuff too. But I mean, that was really my marketing plan was just like keeping up with clients. Once I had, once I got gotcha, you. You're not gonna, uh, yeah, I'm gonna keep you. I'm gonna, you know, reach out to you when you when it's your birthday, or you know, I'm just going to make sure I nurture those relationships, and that has served so well. That's true. I've got a friend who has done. There's a filmmaker that lives locally to where we are, and she said she's probably worked on his films for about seven years because he shoots, he makes something new every year in indie film. She always gets asked to be a part of it. And so every year a different character and a different role. And that's been a a relation, come out of relationship, Mm -hmm. which I think is actually a really beautiful thing and very important. So I'm glad that you said it. Um, I really do want to chat now about your business life because being an artist and then going into business is, is you know, another skill set. Mm-hmm. But you started Atlanta VoiceOver Studio. I love this. Atlanta's premier voiceover training and full service oh, we, recording studio. Yeah. Love it. I <laughs> With Mike. That, but- <laughs> <laughs> to, to raise up, you know, other talent, not only in mm-hmm. Atlanta but beyond. But tell me about the journey into being brave enough to start a business because it is brave. Now, you know, you look at it from here and you go, oh, it's great, it's successful, but it, it never starts there, does it? Like it, no. you have to build and you have to yeah. put a lot of time in. And I will come back to burnout because that's something most creatives have gone through. So I'll pin that. But tell me about starting a business. Did you have the skills for this <laughs> when you started? And not in terms of your ability to teach or your craft, mm-hmm. but in terms of business, how did you go with that journey? It's no across the board, even with teaching. 
<laughs> I'm not it. even kidding. So how we started Atlanta Voice Service Studio was a total fluke because we never intended for it to be what it is. We had a home studio and I love people. And I got to see people kind of, you know, when I did on-camera auditions in the waiting room, but then, you know, you're just like, hey, how are you? Oh, it's so good to see you, you know? Okay, bye. Good luck. Great. Okay, I'll see you later. And so I was telling Mike, oh, I was just really missing people, you know. And a friend of ours had a soundstage studio that he was opening up very soon, and he had some offices there. So Mike said, you know what? Why don't we open up an outside studio at this place, and then that way we can, our on-camera friends that get voiceover auditions, but they may get one every few months, you know. They don't have to bring out all their stuff to their closet and set it up, you know, and like it's just such a hassle. And they can just come in, record their stuff, you know, kind of like a self-taping for voiceover. And maybe we can kind of cover our rent at least through that way. You can see people. Everyone will be happy. So that's what we did. We rented a 100-square-foot space. It's very small. (laughs) And opened up Atlanta VoiceOver Studio. It'll be seven years this June, end of June. And Mike named it. Atlanta VoiceOver Studio, which was a C- SEO genius because yeah. <laughs> once we started opening, people were calling us from L.A. and New York saying, hey, we have this, you know, actor in town that's shooting and we they need to jump in the booth to record something. And um, so and I'm a yes person. So I say yes. And Mike's like, no, we're <laughs> not engineers. Like, you know, we're just you know, we're just talent that know how to work this stuff, but we don't, we're not engineers, but I'm like, oh yeah, sure. Come on. We'll figure it out. And then people started coming to record their auditions and they started saying, oh, you know what? I really need a demo. Can you do a demo for me? I really, do you do classes? Do you do workshops? And we were like, no, we don't. And we started trying to refer them to other places in Atlanta. And one place that had been there closed and there just was there just wasn't many options. And we just thought, well, this stinks. Everybody's asking. We want to be able to provide something for this city. And so then Brian Bremer, who, if you don't know him, you should totally know him. He's he's amazing. But he is a, a talent here and he was already doing an intro workshop with somebody else. So he said, hey, do you want me just to teach this intro workshop? Um, and we were like, sure, no problem. So we did it actually in the soundstage at first, because again, a hundred square foot space. <laughs> yes, yes. And um, and we started doing demos. And anyways, it just grew from there. And then I did not want to teach. I did not think I would be a good teacher. I honestly didn't think, I thought I don't have, I mean, I'm still growing and learning. I still feel like to this day, I'm like, I haven't reached that pinnacle where I feel like I know everything, but I think that's probably a good place to be. And so I kind of went kicking and screaming with the teaching. But that was actually one of the things that I loved the most because I got to see people's journey transform and see them grow and see these talent book agents or get agents, book jobs, create full-time voiceover careers Mm. Through this studio. It was crazy. It was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I love this. I get more excited about this than my own stuff. 
And so then we just kept growing and we moved four years ago into a 3,200 square foot space that we share with Get Taped, who I'd mentioned earlier, Matt and Brooke Cornwell. And it's just, it's just incredible. I mean, we just have workshops and classes and resources and we have a sound design engineer full-time sound design engineer so it's not mike and i that are recording these jobs <laughs> that's good you don't have yeah, to be engineers <laughs> exactly we got a professional yeah and yeah it's just been but it's been such a learning process overall it's gone great it's we've grown a lot but in that growth i think some of it kind of not was fluky, but it just kind of happened. And mm. so now we are looking at, okay, what are things that we need to learn that we didn't maybe learn at the beginning that we should be doing? Because we were just following the needs of mm-hmm. people that would come into the studio. Yeah. And you can't necessarily do that and not evaluate things as well. Mm-hmm. And so we're working with a small business consulting company now, which is really, really helping us. So we're still learning so much. I mean, I feel like I just was talking to Mike when we had our meeting and I said, you know, I, even us learning these things now, I look back and go, gosh, why didn't, that, that's so stupid. Why didn't I think about that before? But, you know, it's, it's a journey and it's a process and yeah. We're leaning into learning. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I ran a dance studio years ago, I mean, right out of university. I saw that. Yeah. And I remember I was I didn't plan to have that. It was a similar it was like I was responding to the need. Yeah. And people kept coming to me. Mm-hmm. And it kind of like I was figuring it out as I went along. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's this crazy journey sometimes, isn't it? And then I'm like oh, I really had no idea what I was doing other than being a performer. But I hope that encourages yeah. those listening is, you know, one step at a time. Yes. And I think you grow, I mean, you can go to business school or you can put on a big pair of shoes and slowly grow into that size and then right. size up and size up until you fit, actually fit the size that you're, you grow with it, right? It's right. not all at right. once. Yeah. No. yeah, yeah, yeah. And because you're growing and it's it, like you're literally doing the application as you go, it'll stick with you, you know, a lot more, I think. Yeah. A lot of times. Yeah. And it's great. I think that what you've done is is smart for all artists because we do need, as I always say, parallel careers too because mm-hmm. of the nature of what we do. But also it's a great way to give your value yeah. to the yeah. world as we are talking about yeah. at the start as well. And you've been through a lot. You've been through seasons of burnout as mm-hmm. a lot of creatives have, whether they know that it's burnout or not, but it's a real thing. I want to talk about that because I heard on your very last episode of a podcast that you were running, you said something so beautiful. You talked about not being able to do everything, waterfalls and streams, and a quote, I think it was a Todd Herman quote. It's not just about dumb determination or discipline for the sake of discipline. If you don't develop the discipline to stop and evaluate if what you're doing is progressing you closer to your goals, then you'll always be almost successful. Burnout, I mean, burnout can happen so easily. I think in what we do, one of the reasons is because it feels like we always have to be, at least I felt like I always have to be moving forward. I always have to be doing something because if I don't, this was my, this was my belief anyways, 
if I don't, then I'm not going to make an income, you know. I'm not going to get my goal. And, you know, it, uh, there, there's a lot of things that go, goes into it. So I think that part plus the mental part, like we were talking about rejection earlier, like you don't realize, I mean, I don't know how many people I've talked to, even my counts. there was one counselor that I had and she was like, I do not think this industry is good for you. And mm. I'm like, it's not good for anyone, honestly. Nobody. Like, yeah, rarely in another, you know, career are you going to have to face this type of rejection, yeah. this type of yeah. just mental heartache yeah. and, and push through it. So that's also a part of it. That's exhausting. That is, is. yeah, it really is stressful. So mm. reached a point last year where I was doing so much things that I knew to be healthy, counselor, all the things. And nothing was filling up my tank, and I was starting to feel resentful. I definitely was kind of like, I I can't handle Atlanta VoiceOver Studio anymore. Like, once our lease is up, I'm just, I think it's going to say, I'm going to say, well, it was a good run, and this is it. And so Mike was the one that suggested, hey, why don't you take a sabbatical from voiceover? And I thought, you're crazy, man. That's how we make our income. <laughs> you know, like, we, uh, even though we have a business, this is not how we Atlanta voiceover studio is not how we get our income. And so I just was really nervous about that. But I thought, you know what, if you are supporting, I will try it for three months. And it was one of the best things that I've ever done. And I learned through that, that one, my belief that if I don't keep on that hamster wheel, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, that my career is going to suffer. That actually was disproven because, you know, things popped up, things, jobs happened and, um, and, and I was just fine. And so I, I will just say that one of the things that I wanted people, I just did an email newsletter for our studio about this, but one of the things I really want to encourage people is that I think a lot of times creatives especially will hit burnout and they think this is my clue to quit like this is my sign that I cannot do this and I need to do something else when in reality it may just be a sign that you just need a pause mm -hmm. you know and the the industry is not going anywhere if you need to take a few months off if you need to whatever you need to do do that somebody I love this quote it's and I uh, I'm trying to remember. It's a woman that said it. But anyways, but she said, don't quit on a bad day. And I thought that is so true because so many times we hit those snags where we just feel like, wait, I can't do anything more. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm mm -hmm. done. And just pause, take some time and then come back. And when you're feeling, you know, a lot more full, then if that's still something you want to quit, that's, then do that. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I really love what you're sharing because for me, like the f first time I think I really recognized burnout, sometimes people go, oh, well, maybe they think they're depressed, but it's, it's mm. more like a biological depression mm -hmm. um, where the things that once brought you joy, for some reason, you just feel like I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, That's a part yeah. of burnout across the board. And just feeling like I can't, I can't do this anymore. And mm -hmm. I remember walking in, I've always loved teaching. Like 
acting yeah. and being around students and I'm a qualified educator in that field as well. And I remember going, I, I, I don't want to be here. Yeah. And I just, no spark, completely flat, where I normally push through that. Mm-hmm. I couldn't push through it. And I was like, I I need a break. And I think quite often as creators, we're so driven and we're doing a lot and we feel mm-hmm. like we can't stop because we'll FOMO, we'll miss out on something that will come up. And, you know, at me as a mum, it was similar. Like I've got little kids at home and I didn't pause, like I didn't take time mm-hmm. off the, my business. I kept <sighs> trying through that whole right. season I'm like if I don't keep going after this thing that I'm going after that thing that I the, the mm. unicorn <laughs> yeah then I am going to be a failure in life you know that was my narrative um and I can't live with that and it was that kind of mm. inner stuff you don't realize that is driving you you know all the time but I had a forced break um actually mm. not just the time that people went through COVID but when I came to the U.S. I wasn't allowed to work as my a visa situation and it only just came through recently and in that pause where I wasn't allowed to be an actor in the industry or apply for representation or anything I actually had this one moment where I turned to my husband and said do I I don't know if I want to do this anymore and here I am got to Atlanta an amazing market mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said yeah. I don't know if I want to do this anymore and he said you will you just need a break mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he was right. And I'm so wow. glad I had a break because in that really time of not being able to work, I built a whole new business quietly wow. by myself day after day, which is larabiancapilcha.com, built that website, which is pretty epic and I'm really proud of it. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> but like that came out of those that desert season of not being able to do what mm. I primarily do. And so burnout is is very real but also – Having a break is one of yeah. the best things, isn't it, for your yeah. soul, um, whether you leave at the end of that break or you or you stay. So mm. I've been there right there with you. And I think the yeah. stream and waterfall thing was like you can be a stream or you can be a waterfall, but it was to do with where we put the flow of our creativity, mm. the flow of our mm-hmm. lives, the flow of yeah. our productivity, really yeah. beautiful imagery yeah. Yeah. to think about. Yeah. I want to do everything, you know, I want to, I want to have a great podcast. I want to be able to write. I want to be able to do all these things creatively. I just can't do them all, you know, together at the same time. And whenever I come to that realization, it feels like a failure. Yeah. But it's not, you know, it's not. It. Think about, you know, think about how refreshing a stream is. It's like, well, if you are thirsty or whatever, you're going to go to that stream and it's going to be like so refreshing, right? Mm. We don't like criticize or judge it. Well, you're not a waterfall. You're not, you know, you're not flooding us with all this amazingness. And, and so I don't know if it was that, but I, I do know that I, I've really struggled with like creative pursuits that haven't necessarily turned out the way that I thought they would or the six status of success that I thought they would hopefully come to be. But in each one of those, I learned valuable things that have led to what I am currently successful at. So I think that's something to really think about if you feel like, oh, gosh, I did this. You know, I, I wrote this screenplay, but, you know, nobody's ever seen it or I felt like I've gotten rejected. Uh, uh, For me, I did a whole 
talk show pilot that I went and pitched. And, you know, I got there, I spent my own money and all this stuff. And then I got there and people were like, yeah, we don't know what to do with this. And and you also could have just written it on a piece of paper and handed it to us. And I was like, shoot. You know, it just felt like such a failure. And I yeah. think everybody that's a creative probably has experienced that. They've tried something and they felt like that did that didn't necessarily work out. But the great thing about it is you learn in that process. So that yeah. may help with success down the road for something else. I like that. I really do because I think that I definitely relate with the things that I really wanted that was so strong in me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I haven't achieved them. And then through that season of burnout and break mm. and pause, I actually was like, oh, this thing that I'm doing over here is actually bringing me so much joy, but I wouldn't yeah. have known that, you know, yeah. I wouldn't have known. Yes. And sometimes we just don't see it. So now that you're Heidi here in this 2000, I don't want to say the year because at some point <laughs> this won't be the year, but what would you say to Heidi, you know, just starting out, what would be your advice to yourself that you've learned the hard way now? The greatest path to happiness for the rest of your life is to increase the voice of grace in your mm. head. Wow. I think for a long time I, and I, it's something that I'm just working with my counselor right now on, but mm. it's like I didn't want to let go of that negative voice because I thought that was propelling me to excellence. Like, well, no, that's, I don't want to like not be aware of things I need to work on. So I need to focus on that stuff. And in reality, it's not only keeping me from happiness, but it's the one thing that keeps me from loving the people around me. Because when that voice of negativity and like condemnation, like you didn't do enough, you aren't doing well, you're not going to succeed at this. When that voice is so loud in your head, it just automatically affects the people around you. And you think it doesn't. You think, no, this is just, at least for me, I thought, this is just me. This is not about anybody else. But it makes, it's like it wounds our, like we're wounding Mm, ourselves. You know what I mean? And so then therefore, when someone else says to you, oh, you know, I listened to your podcast episode, but that I heard like uh, some noise or something like that. Well, if I'm already in that state of mind of like, I've already combed through all of my podcasts and I'm hypercritical of all this stuff. And if somebody says that one thing to me, it feels like a wound. You know what I mean? Because I'm already in that place of like, uh, of negative and criticizing myself. And so one of the things that I've been learning is like, okay, I I may not be able to silence that voice all the time. Like that voice may always be there. It may always creep up. But what I can do is raise that voice of grace in my head. So when I start to think those things go, okay, okay, you know what? You can improve. Yeah, you can. Imp- you could probably improve in that area. But you know what? You did pretty good. And you listened to that, you know, that counselor, you listened to that <laughs> mm. coach or whatever, and you're really trying. And you know what? You'll get better. It's just that way of like, hey, you're okay. You're going to mm. be okay. And and then it's just helped not only my happiness, but being a business owner and, you know, having employees or other people below me. I, I want to show that same grace to other people too. Oh, that's so beautiful. How did you summarize it? The first sentence you said is the best path to happiness and 
maybe even satisfaction, I would think, you know, mm, it's like, so you can work towards goals, you can work towards all these things. Just mm. don't forget that voice of grace. Love that. Love that. Thank you so much for being with us. And if there are any Thank other you. thoughts that you want to say before we check out. Girl, I think I talk so much. There's so many Beautiful. things I want to ask you. <laughs> and so I don't actually like being necessarily on the spotlight, but I just appreciate you having me. And I know that you have that same heart for other people mm, of definitely. wanting to encourage them, wanting to, I mean, be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Phew. Today's masterclass is done. I love reaching back and saying I've done this and helping you learn the easy way. If you want more, head to larabiancapilcher.com for show notes, links, freebies, my blog, coaching and courses. And you can also head to my socials, Lara Bianca Pilcher on Instagram and Facebook. I'm also on Twitter and Pinterest. Thanks again for listening. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That would mean the world to me. And of course, keep on living the healthy, wealthy, wise artist living towards your dream life. Bye, friends. P.S. Shout out to my hottie hubby, Andrew Pilcher, who does all the editing on this podcast. <laughs>